if we don't connect with people, if they don't like us, if they don't trust us, they're not going to take our blood pressure pills. They're not going to go for the colonoscopy that we recommend. We're not going to be able to help our patients unless we communicate with them. From Spa Dameron Tenney, it's the Prosperous Doc Podcast. Real stories, real inspiration, real growth. A show for doctors who are ready to improve their overall wellness in every aspect of life. Now here's your host, Shane Tenney. All right, welcome back to the Prosperous Doc Podcast. I think there's a great quote that will set the stage for the conversation we're going to have today. The patient will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. Most of us form impressions really quickly when we meet new people, uh, for better or for worse. And it's definitely true in a medical setting where patients are uncomfortable, um, anxious, nervous. Studies from the MGMA and health grades have confirmed that patients overwhelmingly want their physician providers not just to be smart and technically astute, but they're looking for providers who show compassion, comfort, patience, personality, and bedside manner. And we know research has unequivocally demonstrated over years that patients who perceive their doctor as having good bedside manner and relational interaction are more likely to view their treatment as being effective. And yet, as we all know, a good bedside manner doesn't just come naturally. It's not standard curriculum in medical schools or in training, but it's what we're going to talk about today. And so my guest today is a retired neurologist, practiced medicine for over 40 years with Kaiser in Northern California, and he's the author of a book titled Bedside Manners for Physicians and everybody else, what they don't teach in medical school or any school. Um, I'd like to welcome Dr. Scott Abramson to the Prosperous Doc podcast to talk about this really central element of patient care. Uh, Dr. Abramson, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Shane. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to just hear about your perspective on that and all that you have gleaned through your years of training. I'm throwing around this term bedside manner um, here as we open the show, which I think all of us sort of have a general idea of what that means. But you spent a lot more time thinking and talking and writing about this topic. How do you define bedside manner? Well, you're right. I did spend a lot of, for about of my 40-year career, for about 25 years, I was very involved with the Kaiser Communication Endeavor. And we had a lot of workshops. We did a lot of didactic training. We did individual coaching. We had also these intensive offsites where we would take groups of doctors and for three or four days, nonstop, morning till dusk, we would practice communication. We would have paid actors. We would videotape the communication. We would replay the communication. We would get input from colleagues. And it was just an extraordinary way to teach this, this issue. And, you know, you're right that, that we, it's something that we can learn. There are some doctors, and I've run across them, you probably have too, that just have this natural ability to connect with people. And they don't need this training. God bless them all. They just have it. 
But for most of us, including me, we have to work at this stuff. And that's what I did. And that's why I found this so valuable, because I, I didn't feel like I was a natural communicator. But learning these skills really, really, really helped me in my career. And what was it that was happening at that point in your career that was making you feel like you wanted to grow or contribute in this regard or or was making you feel discouraged yeah. or disappointed with your own patient interactions? Well, the fact is, you know, I really wasn't feeling disappointed. I was feeling like, hey, you know, I'm doing my doctor stuff. I see people, I find it, I fix it, I explain it to people. Hey, I'm doing a pretty good job. But around 25 years ago, Kaiser started this communication endeavor. And so that's when they started this. And at the same time, I had joined this organization called Toastmasters. Toastmasters is an organization that teaches people about public speaking, but also public listening. So at Toastmasters, what we're taught is you listen to speeches, you try to understand them, and then you give evaluations for them. And I found that my listening skills, that if I could bring those listening skills to patient care, that I was hoping it could make a lot of difference. And it did. It really did. Whereas I was doing this, you know, the routine things that doctors do, when I started to focus on communication, it brought so much joy and meaning into my practice. And I can tell you this, Shane, I worked it over 40 years at Kaiser, and people would say, why don't, why don't you retire? You know, we've got a great benefits plan and all that. You can rest and relax. And I didn't want to retire. I was just having too much fun doing what I had been doing for the 20 years in a more, you know, that I wasn't really appreciating, that I was just routine, robotic almost. So this really changed my life. And talk a little bit about as you went in and then participated for decades with the communications endeavor, I'm intrigued by kind of the point I think you were making there, which is we think about bedside manner. We tend to think about, well, I want to say the right thing and I want to say it in the right way. And if I do that, the patient will feel the way I want them to feel. I think you would agree there's an element of truth to that. I'm struck by the point you made, which is it's not just saying the right thing and saying it in the right way, but a key part of this interaction is the listening component. Exactly. Exactly. Can you talk about That's what I was going to say. It's listening in the right way. So... Let me try to explain this. I would say one of the key principles that I learned is focused that makes this whole communication thing make sense is one word. It's just one word. It's a word you'll never guess. It's just a simple three-letter word. And I'm going to tell you what that word is that, and, and why it makes such a difference. Let's say this, Shane. Okay, when we were talking earlier, you know, you had a little cough or something like this. So suppose you came to see me as a doctor and you came because of your cough. Now, let's suppose that it was just a cough and so forth. But in the back of your mind, you didn't even want to sort of almost acknowledge it. But maybe there was this fear about, could it be a lung cancer or something like that? But it was something you almost didn't want to even recognize. So you come to me as a patient. And I would, the typical thing, the typical thing that most doctors would do, and I would do it too, is to find it, fix it, explain it. So I'd say, so uh, Shane, tell me about your cough. Uh, what days does it have? Is it Monday, Tuesdays? Is it in the evening? Is it in the morning? Does it wake you up? Is it that bloody? I would ask you all those questions. I would come to a diagnosis. I would explain the diagnosis. Maybe I'd give you a medicine or something like that. 
And you would go out and you would think, okay. And I would think to myself, yeah, I did my job. I, I did what I'm supposed to do, you know. But what if I did this? What if I tried to listen closely and ask this question? So Shane, I'm going to ask you all these questions about your cough. But before I do that, let me ask you one question. What are you most concerned about? Do you have any specific fears about what's causing this cough? And if I ask that question, hopefully you might tell me, you know, Doc, I know it's crazy, but maybe, you know, my uncle had a cough and he had lung cancer. I just, you know, and if then if I could also do my regular thing, give you the find it, fix it and explain it. But if I also told you and I said, Shane, I got great news. I've examined you, everything. This is not cancer. Let me just reassure you about that. You don't have cancer. Now, so here's that word I'm talking about. The word is T-H-E, the. Most of, see, we're focused on, as physicians, it's a simple thing. What's the matter? People come in with a symptom. We try to find it. We fix it, explain it, all that. What's the matter? And that's good. I mean, we have to do that. But if you eliminate the word the, it becomes what matters. What matters? And what matters to you, maybe just as much as trying to cure the little cough, is just having that reassurance that it's not cancer. So it becomes not what's the matter, but the crucial thing about communication is what matters. And what really matters to you is just having that reassurance. Now, here's the benefit of that is because you're leaving that office not just with a maybe an allergy pill or something like that, but you're leaving with that, oh, thank God, it's not that. And as a physician, and this is why I said it's brought so much joy and meaning to me as a physician. As a physician, I'm leaving that thing as, as, as not just as, okay, check the box. I did this appointment. Who's coming next? Got Oh, got two people waiting. Okay, I'll check my inbox. You know, they got, they got to write some jury excuse letters, this and that. So I'm leaving that thing, man, I have given that patient, I've given Shane a blessing. He doesn't have to worry about lung cancer. And the joy of, of being able to do that, other than just checking routine boxes, allergy, cough, or whatever, can bring so much joy and meaning to physicians. So that's what I mean, is the listening, is to listen better and try to understand not just what's the matter, but what matters. That's a great uh, example that really uh, just humanizes the whole interchange. And I'm struck thinking of perhaps someone listening to this, maybe in training, maybe in practice. And it seems to me that it's so easy to say, yeah, as if I had the time to do that. Yeah. When I'm being pushed to see 25, 30, 35, 40 patients yeah. a day, yeah. you know, next, 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 next. What was your experience? How do you navigate the demands of the healthcare system? and try to bring a genuine interaction and a curiosity, and it sounds like even a humility to a 10-minute interaction. Yeah, I think that's the myth that this is going to take you more time because it really doesn't. It only took like, I don't know, 15 seconds to ask that question to you and understand the response. That's all it took. And because I asked that question, I would bet you that you would feel a better connection with me because I asked you that question, I cared enough. People don't you know how much you care till they, they don't know how much that thing. I would bet you're better connected me with me because I asked you. Therefore, you are probably more likely to trust what I my advice to you 
And if you trust my advice, you're more likely to take whatever medicine I give you. If you take what medicine, you're going to feel better. On the other hand, if I didn't do that, you might have gone home and your wife is going to say, did you tell him about your worry about the cancer? And then you're going to call my office again and say, you know, well, maybe I better see you again. So in a way, it really does save time in the long run. It really does. Yeah. Can you think of of the thousands of patient encounters that you have? Is there a scenario that stands out in your mind of interacting with someone where you just were able to see this skill play out as you learned it through the communications endeavor with Kaiser and things like that? And you began to realize, oh, this makes a difference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the story that comes to mind is this. And this actually, when I first started doing this, this was one of the epiphanies that I had. This made it all clear to me that we were on the right path. So I'm uh, seeing on my schedule a return visit from this sweet little old lady. And about a month earlier, I had sent her off for this minor surgical procedure. So I'm looking at my schedule. I think, oh, this is going to be a nice visit. Very short, sweet, She's going to come back, say, Dr. Abramson, thank you for sending me to surgery. Everything's fine. Maybe if I'm lucky, she'd bring me some little old lady brownies, you know. So she comes in and she says, Dr. Abramson, I wouldn't let that surgeon touch me with a 10-foot laser beam. Now, then what she said next was really what got me because it was the incongruity of the situation. Here's this sweet little old lady, you know, with the white gloves and She calls her husband, Papa, and he calls her Mama, you know. So she comes and here's what she said. I wouldn't let that surgeon touch me with a 10-foot laser beam. Dr. Abramson, that surgeon is one pompous little prick. I'm sorry for the language, but those were her words, not mine. Now, here's the thing. I know that surgeon. He's an excellent surgeon. He's got the best hands of anybody. All the nurses tell me this. He's brilliant. but he couldn't help his patient. And honestly, to be honest with you, personality-wise, he is kind of what like my patient said. So, but here's the thing, he couldn't sell the deal. She didn't trust him. And if we don't connect with people, if they don't like us, if they don't trust us, they're not gonna take our blood pressure pills. They're not gonna go for the colonoscopy that we recommend. We're not going to be able to help our patients unless we communicate with them. And having that interaction and hearing her voice was just opened my eyes to the value of communication. So important. We got to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about some of the challenges here and also how this approach and this awareness can help with collegial interactions as well. Do you understand your personal cash flow? You know the combination of your monthly income and monthly expenses. Do you ever think about how much money you made last year and wonder, where did it all go? Understanding where your money goes today is essential to creating an actionable plan to achieve your financial goals for tomorrow. Take control of your finances by downloading the free personal cash flow worksheet. The Prosperous Doc podcast is underwritten by the financial planning firm of Spa Dameron Tenney, and you can download this free personal cash flow worksheet at sdtplanning.com and click on financial resources. 
Don't let another month of money confusion go by when you have access to free help. Again, the website is sdtplanning.com. Click on financial resources to download the free personal cash flow worksheet. All right. So I'm talking with Dr. Scott Abramson about his many, many years working on communication and and bedside manner, as I think the label we're putting it on here. Um, Dr. Abramson, why is it so hard? What's the obstacle for so many docs in being able to bring this type of awareness to their interactions? Well, the usual answers you will get are, well, I'm just so busy. I got so many patients. I don't have the time. The electronic medical record is just destroying my life. The system is just works against me. They just give me more and more patients and all that. And I'm not discounting that. I know those are real issues. And I mean, I can't solve those issues. But I think one of the barriers to doing this is our own personal characters, our own personal makeups. And here's what I mean. I remember I was seeing this patient and I could sense, and the family was skeptical about what I was doing. They were skeptical about my treatment, my diagnosis and everything. And they made it clear. We're sitting in the exam room. Now, instead of exercising bedside manner and trying to be empathic and trying to listen and trying to do all of these skills, what happened to me is I became very defensive. I considered their questioning their as sort of an assault, as sort of a disrespect, as sort of a demeaning of me personally. I took it personally. I think a lot of doctors in that situation, sometimes we let our personal, because here's what happened, Shane. I'm sitting there and I'm getting this feedback from them. They're not liking. And what I'm thinking in my mind is, my gosh, I grew up with um, an older sibling who frankly, you know, bullied me. And just with a look or just one word, they could just make me feel so small. So I'm sitting in this exam room and I'm thinking of myself as this child being bullied by an older sibling. And here these patients are demeaning me. They're not respecting me. And I had that same feeling. And it's it kind of prevented me from any sort of bedside manner. The psychiatrist, Carl Jung, he said, when other people annoy you, it can reveal things about yourself. If I would have understood that at the time, and I said, you know what, I'm feeling very defensive, I'm feeling this, and the reason I am is because of what happened. I'm not, I think sometimes our, that who we are, that we gets in the way of this. It's like my grandmother used to say, when you point a finger at somebody, there's always three pointing back at you. For somebody thinking like, yeah, this makes sense. I want to get better at this as well. Yeah. But maybe they're not part of the Kaiser system. They don't have access to the communication <laughs> endeavor. Uh, you referenced Toastmasters earlier. I'm not sure that's the place to start, but maybe what occurs to you is the place to kind of grow in one's self-awareness and one's skill at communicating with empathy? Well, one of the things we teach as far as communicating with empathy is make this a habit. In every patient you see, make one empathic statement. Just make that one empathic statement. Like if you came to me with a cough and I'm saying, wow, Shane, that, that must be tough just 
the job you have where you interview people and you fight that cough. So if the thing that we teach is just making that one empathic. Now, when I made that statement to you, if I added that statement, it took me 10 seconds or less. What was the effect on you when you heard that? So if I could give one piece of advice about empathy, this is what I would say. And I learned this from a woman who was a patient of mine who worked in our member assistant, which is our patient complaint department. So she came to me and I said, wow, Christina, you've got this tough job, you know, working as it can't be pleasant working in all these from nine to five. People are just complaining to you about this and that. And she said, she says, yes, it's a tough job. She says, but I love my work. I said, well, how do you do this? How, what happens? She says, well, when people come in and they complain, like they're complaining um, that I had to wait 30 minutes in the doctor's exam room for him to come in. Or I spent 20 minutes trying to find a parking place. I waited all day for the doctor's phone call and he never called. So this is the kind of stuff she hears. And she says, what I try to do is put myself, this is the greatest advice I've ever heard about empathy. It's hard. It's really hard to do, but it's so simple. It's simple, but it's so difficult. Here's what she said. I try to put myself in their shoes. So I try to imagine myself waiting in the doctor's exam room for 30 minutes, knowing I have to pick up my daughter in daycare and all that. I try to imagine myself frantically. I'm late for the appointment, trying to find a parking place for 30. I try to imagine waiting all day for the phone call from the doctor for my sick child. I put myself in their shoes. And it does take a moment. It does take a flip of that mind switch. But if we can do that as physicians and just for a moment, try to put ourselves in their shoes so that the guy comes in like with a chronic cough. And we say, God, what it must be like for this guy to be coughing all night. He's got to go to work the next day. Or, or somebody who comes in with just routine back pain and says, God, the guy can't play catch with his son. Or the guy that comes in with a headache and just a routine tension headache. But man, this guy's worried about an aneurysm bursting. So if you can just put yourself in their shoes for one moment, even these routine, run-of-the-mill appointments that you think are kind of maybe a, just a pain in the ass or something, you could not only help your patients with that expressive empathy, but you help yourself because it becomes a blessing to be able to relate to them. How does this show up in your relationships with colleagues? Because it's not only patients who need a listening ear or need to be asked what matters yeah, uh, with our colleagues, with your residents, yeah, with your supervisor, your department heads. This can show up as well, I'm imagining. And I'm, yeah. I know maybe there's a story that you can think of of having an interaction. Yeah, it is. And absolutely right. This is something, a skill that can lead to just tremendous camaraderie with your colleagues. And a doctor told me this story. He's seeing a patient in his exam room and the patient has, he's a GP and the patient has some sort of orthopedic problem. And we have this helpline where you can just call the consultant that you want on call and he'll answer the phone. It's really a great system. So he says, okay, I'll call the orthopedist on call. Patient is in the exam room and he calls the doctor and he presents the problem. The doctor says, do this, do that. And then this consultant says to him, you know, you didn't really need to call me. You could have done this on your own. You should have known this. You know, he's got the patient in his room. 
imagine that what the reaction of the patient is. A consultant says, you should have known this. Imagine what he's feeling, you know, that he's feeling a bit of humiliation. Oh my God, this patient's, I've just been told I should have known something that I don't. And what's going to happen the next time he has a patient that he needs to consult on? Is he going to call this consultant again? Maybe not. And maybe to the detriment of that patient. So it's so important to treat our colleagues right, to say, thank you for that consult. Boy, that's an interesting question. I appreciate your contacting me. That's what we need to do is is make people feel good about talking to one another. It's not about one-upsmanship or you're, you shouldn't have sent this or read Dr. Google or, you know, go on an up-to-date website. You know, Shane, I uh, once, there was a, one of my colleagues, Vijay Tiwari, he's a hospital doctor. And I did a consult in the hospital on one of his patients. I was staying late. I was really behind that day. And I sent him the consult note. The next day he sees me in the, he sits beside me in the hospital and he says, Scott, wow. He says, uh, I got your consult to like it was at 9.45 at night. Man, you must be really working hard. And my response to him was not to say thank you, VJ, for acknowledging that I was working hard. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for validating my hard work. What I said was, oh, yeah, oh, no, no, no problem, Vijay. You know, I was just busy. You know, I had a lot of consults. I was reading EEGs. I had a lot of in-basket stuff. That's all. You know, here I was trying to excuse his, make an alibi, and I should have been able to accept it and say, man, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. But it's hard sometimes. You know, we're not built to acknowledge compliments. <laughs> no, that's the very true. And, um, and I think so much of what you're describing and even the self-awareness requires an element of humility, which is so difficult to come by many times. You spent the time to write uh, the book I introduced in in my opening remarks of Bedside Manners for Physicians and Everybody Else. I'm curious, in going through the process of writing what you have learned, what do you hope is the the takeaway for people that read your book? I hope that when people practice some of the skills that I mentioned, and some of these skills are just very specific things, simple things. Like here's an example of a simple skill. I can't tell you how many times I've run into people outside, you know, just at Starbucks, and they know that they see you're, you know, got a doctor badge on or something like that. You work at, can you hear this story? And they say something like this. I went to the doctor, and the doctor was 45 minutes late. They say, look, I understand it. Doctors have emergencies. A lot of things happen. I can understand it. But the doctor didn't even have the decency to apologize. One of just a simple thing, make an apology. You know, sorry, I'm late. Now let's talk about what's bothering you. But your question was, what do I hope will come out of this? And like I said, a lot of these in this book, a lot of specific things you can do. My my hope is that number one, you will develop better connection with your patients. Because if they like you, they will connect with you. If they connect with you, they'll trust you. If they trust you, they're going to follow your advice. If they follow your advice, they're going to have better outcome. Number one is better patient outcome. The second thing is better clinician outcome. Because when you connect with people, when you can do that on a human level and not just, you know, find it, fix it, explain it, go bye-bye, it brings such joy and meaning to your medical practice. It's just like that, like I was, that example that I showed was when the fact that I was 
able to reassure you that you didn't have cancer because of that cough. That gave me a special feeling. I may have had three patients waiting in the exam room, but I'm walking out of that exam room with a glow. This guy's going to sleep better tonight. I feel so good about that interaction. That's what can sustain you in spite of all the EMR issues, the systemic uh, administration issues, all that stuff. That is what can sustain you. So number one is patient outcome. Number two is doctor outcome. You mentioned a specific uh, tip, I guess, of being willing to apologize and being aware of when it might be helpful. As we wrap up here, what are your other favorite uh, suggestions or tips that you have? God, there's so many. Um, I think something is, this is so basic, is just make some sort of social comment. So it's just so important, I think, to connect like that. So if you came into me, you've got the cough, Shane, you know, and you say, okay, Shane, let me uh, get the details of the cough. When did it start? How is it this? Is it that? I could do that. Or I could say, so Shane, um, you're here by yourself today or is anybody here with you? Anybody here with you? Let's say your wife is here. Okay. So your wife is in the exam room and I'm saying, hey, how did you guys meet? And, you know, you're going to tell me, oh, he was, I went to the bowling alley. He was, you know, like every ball was a gutter ball. I felt so sorry for him. I just thought I'd, and then then we have that interaction. I'm saying, okay, oh man, that's that's so cool. So is your bowling game any better, Shane? And then I'm going on. And then I'm going to say, okay, now, um, like, um, yeah, let's talk about the cough now. So having had that little social, and it took like 20 seconds. Are you going to be more connected to me? You're going to like me more? You're going to be trusting me more? And is that going to save time in the long run when I have to maybe explain how to, to take the medicine or to get whatever? So critical. So yeah. simple. Just make that simple connection. I, it is simple. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that I do is like, if anybody comes in with a tattoo, I always ask them what the tattoo signifies. Now you think, now some people say, oh, that's, you're just too nosy. But people that have tattoos are proud of their tattoos. That signifies something very important in their lives. And it, when you ask them that, you say, oh, wow, you know, this is my grandmother. This is a memory of my grandmother. Say, oh, wow, tell me a little bit about your grandmother. That is people, that's just a simple thing. Do you have any tattoos, Shane? I don't. Oh, okay. So, But if I did, it would be something important. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) exactly. Maybe like a bowling ball or something. Who knows? So, uh, no, so it's just a simple thing, making a social comment. But we could go on for another two hours, and I could talk to you about the specific kind of tips and things like that, but. Well, instead, we can just pause and we can plug the book. We can say, listen, if you, yeah, because these are great points, apologizing, asking questions. Your point about tattoos is so right. I remember a number of years ago being out to eat with my wife and she's such a great, encouraging, curious person. And she said to the waiter, she said, oh, wow, that's some pretty impressive ink on your arm. And I thought just what you said, I said, well, that's kind of personal, isn't it? But lo and behold, did it unleash just a captivating story and build a connection there. So exactly a great point. And uh, and again, your book, Bedside Manners for Physicians and Every Wellness is available um, anywhere you get books, Amazon, things like that. So folks that want to grow in this area can find that. I'm curious, Dr. Abramson, as we wrap up here, you've had, uh, I'll go ahead and label it a long and illustrious career. And it didn't happen in a vacuum and you didn't do it by yourself. Is there anyone that comes to mind that you'd like to shout out 
as being hugely instrumental in your own journey through medicine and now into retirement? My first thought was, because a lot of this communication issue, and I was also very a champion of our physician health and wellness enterprise and, and endeavor, the physician health and wellness. And I was chair of our committee at Kaiser. And so when you said long and illustrious career, I was thinking of my wife and my wife would say, you are the chairman of the health and wellness committee. You are the most unhealthy person I've ever met. You know, you're a sick puppy. You know, people think you're so nice at work. They, they ought to see what you're like at home. So that we always get to get in the game. But uh, I would like to say, first of all, to Dr. Terry Stein, she was the one who really started this communication effort at Kaiser. I owe her a lot. Dr. Mahendra Somasundran, he was one of my attendings in the 19... 19- 70s when I was in training. He was at Downstate Medical Center. And this was before communication stuff had become anything. It was There was never anything about communication. But he was so humble and so caring and compassionate to his patients. He became a role model to me. And I guess finally, I'd have to say my father. My father was a salesman. He was a vacuum cleaner salesman all his life. And here's the thing. I used to sometimes make rounds with him. And my father, he'd make a sale, but he'd never say thank you. Now, you might think that's kind of unusual. Why would a salesman not say thank you? And I had a lot of sales jobs in high school and everything. I sold men's clothes. I sold encyclopedias door to door and all that stuff. And I hated it. So I asked my father, I says, what is the secret of being a good salesman? My father said, whatever I sold, I always believed it was the best. I always believed it was the best. So when he made a sale to someone, he didn't think, he was selling someone to something. He thought he was bestowing a gift. So he saw no need to say thank you. As a matter of fact, his customers would thank him because that was his attitude. I'll tell you, Shane, that's how I feel about this communication endeavor, that I feel it is the best thing we can do for physicians. Just like my father said, it's the best. Whatever I, I believe in my heart, this is the best. Well, that is excellent. And I have to say, I think that goes down as a first on the Prosperous Doc podcast, where we've had a doc give a shout out to a vacuum cleaner salesman. But on behalf of your dad, thank you for the shout out. So uh, Dr. Scott Abramson, thanks so much for your time, for your thoughts, for your uh, pearls of wisdom, and for what you have done and are doing to better the medical community across our country. Thanks for being with us. And uh, for you, our listener, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, eavesdropping in on a fun conversation. And uh, we welcome your reviews on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you're getting your podcasts. And um, I welcome your emails with ideas, thoughts, suggestions, or guests. You can email me, shane at theprosperousdoc.com if you have someone in your life that you think would be a great guest or talk about a great topic on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll see you back here next time. This episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast is over, but you're not alone on your journey. Spa Dameron Tenney has been helping physicians and dentists prosper through financial planning for over 60 years. To connect with us, visit sdtplanning.com today and take your financial wellness to new levels. Join us on the next episode of the Prosperous Doc Podcast.